Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Because many people don't know, but a huge part of being the church, the body of Christ, has nothing to do with what takes place inside this building what we do inside the building. I've been having so many conversations with so many people who are like, well, I don't necessarily need the church, the body of Christ. And they confuse it with the building, right? They think that this is the church. And uh, there's a lot of important stuff that goes on inside the building, like we do Sunday celebration. That happens inside the building unless a pandemic comes and then we have to do it in the parking lot like we did. Um, We also do Bible studies, right? Not just us, all, lots of congregations inside the building. Now, granted for us, most of ours take place online, again, because of the pandemic. But uh, still, things that we do inside the building, uh, lots of fellowship that we do inside the building. Uh, quick story, because he's not here and hasn't been here for years. When I first got here, right, there was a guy, I won't say his name because that wouldn't be cool, uh, who used to run the sound. And there's, there's literally two steps here on the stage. And once I said at the end, amen, like we're done, started going down the first step, he would start turning off the sound equipment, shutting off the lights, and like, we're done, everybody out, right? Um, which, if you've been here for a while, you know that's not what we do. Because once I'm done and I say amen, there are people who kind of hang out for five minutes, ten minutes, some people an hour and five minutes just fellowshipping. That's what we do. Speaking of which, uh, I'm supposed to remind you guys, uh, yeah, I did make a slide, that um, part of the fellowship that we do is we're going to have a potluck on Sunday, March 27th. Um, Jackie, who is not here, said like we're the eatingest bunch that she has ever met uh, because before the pandemic, like literally every couple of months, we had some reason to get together and eat or we don't have a reason, but let's get together and eat. So we haven't done it in a while. The last time we did was uh, last year uh, before we put up or when we put up all the Christmas stuff. So we're going to do, we don't have a reason. Uh, we're just going to get together and eat, bring a dish and, and hang out. I'll talk more about that next week. Uh, but all of this stuff is good. Sunday celebration, Bible study, fellowship. Those are things that normally take place inside like a congregational building. But it's not as important and this is what we've talked about extensively as the things that take place outside of the building, like how we talk to others, right? The way that we communicate to others. And uh, I was having a conversation with something, someone just the other day and uh, was shocked to find out they were a Christian because of the things that were coming out of their mouth were not Christ-like at all. Uh, so the way that we talk to others is important. How we treat others is important what we post and how we post and what we post about online, because most of us post stuff online or, or wherever it is we post it, that's important, right? That's more important than the things that take place inside the building because these are the things that give people a reflection of how we as Christians, what we think about God and how we're going to treat them if they start coming to hang out with us in our congregation, right? Now, here's the thing. Think about this. One of the most important things that people are talking about and posting about right now is the war in the Ukraine, right? Because it's, it's, it's on the world stage. 
whether it be this country, another country, all the countries, everyone is talking about it. But here in America, right, because of the way we, we, we kind of filter things through the American lens, we're also talking about politics because we filter everything through our political perspective, whether it be Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Conservative, whatever it is, that's the way we filter things. So uh, whether it be the Ukraine, whether it be the pandemic, whatever comes up, we tend to filter it. We'll talk about that. We'll post about that but we'll also filter it through and end up talking about somehow bringing it back to some type of political perspective, right? Now, even though outside of this building, inside the building, whatever, this is the the primary thing that people are talking and posting about, the Ukraine and politics, right? Believe it or not, two of the things that people in America, again, I can only speak for Americans, say that we should not talk about in public are religion and politics, Am I, have you guys have heard that, right? I'm not making this up. Yeah, people say, oh, don't talk about religion, especially at work. We don't talk about religion and politics. When you're out in public, don't talk about religion and politics, even though these are the most important things in our lives, right? Religion, whether or not we have, you know, a God who loves us, whether or not we have an eternal destination, that's super important. We should be talking about that. And the way that we're governed we should be talking about that. All of these are things that we definitely should be talking about, right? But these are the things that people tend to talk about, but also get frustrated when they talk about and get mad when you talk about and you're not supposed to talk about. So these are super, 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 super important things, but a lot of people say you shouldn't talk about it. Now, even though religion and politics, people say, oh, you're not supposed to talk about it, it's also the same concept that they had in the days of Zechariah, right? Because we're walking through uh, the book of Zechariah, and even in his day, uh, there were things like religion and politics, although it was, you know, religion was the basis for their nation, there were still these things that you weren't supposed to talk about. And Zechariah, he was fine when he was talking about religion, but when he started mixing religion and politics, what a lot of theologians believe is this is what led to him, his life being ended, so to speak, right? He was fine uh, because he started talking about, you know, these things that made people mad. He was fine when he was talking about the Messiah, right? That, that God is going to send an anointed one, someone to lead our nation. Yay, yay, yay. Everyone was all like about it. But then when he started talking about, hey, but all these other governments are going to come in and overtake our nation, people started getting a little frustrated. No one, no one wants to hear that, right? Actually, when Jeremiah prophesied that, right, they beat him and threw him in a, a, a well because no one wants to hear that your nation is going to be overtaken and that God said it's supposed to happen, right? That's not what we want to hear. But then he also started prophesying about not just the governments, the, the Greeks and the Romans that would come in and overtake Israel. He started talking about people, that would come in and rule Israel in an ungodly way, start talking about the Antichrist. And a lot of theologians believe this is what led to his life being ended. This is what, um, if you have a Bible, open up to the book of Zechariah chapter 10, but this is what Jesus said about Zechariah. So while you're turning to Zechariah, I'm going to read out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 23, right? Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law... And the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. 
So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. This is, this is Jesus saying, hey, the, 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 the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're supposed to tell you, thus saith the law, thus saith the law. So when they read to you and tell you this is what the law says, that's a good thing. You can follow it, you can obey it. But don't do what they do because they didn't obey it themselves. He said they don't practice what they're preached. Later on, he then said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Now, we don't say woe to you today. That's not in our language unless we're watching a Shakespearean play. We don't hear that today. This is literally him saying, you guys are jerks. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. And this is crucial. He said, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. He says, what you're doing, what your, te- your, your hypocritical attitude, it's preventing people from getting into heaven. You're not going to get there, and you're preventing them from getting there. And then he says this, right? He says, you snakes, you brood of vipers. Now, that's not harsh language in our day. We would laugh if we heard someone saying that. But think of someone saying something really mean and nasty to people today. He said, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Uh, He says, because of your hypocritical attitude and because you're, 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 you're saying this is what the law says, but then you're leading people away from it by what you do. He says, I'm going to send you prophets, people who can say, thus saith the word of God. He says, I'm going to send you sages, which is literally just wise people who are able to take that and apply it because that's what wisdom is, applying knowledge. And I'm going to send you teachers, people who can explain and expound on the law. He says, some of them you're going to kill and crucify. Others you're going to flog in the synagogues and pursue from town to town. But then he says this, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all of this will come on this generation. Now, this generation that he was talking to was not responsible, right? They obviously, Abel was way before their time. Zechariah was like 500 years before their time, but Zechariah is who we're talking about. Zechariah, son of Berechiah. But he said, it's going to come on you because you're doing the same thing that Cain did to Abel. Right? When Cain and Abel fought, Abel said, I'm going to do things God's way. Cain said, I'm going to do it my way. And then he went ahead and, and like, you know, beat up and killed his brother. Uh, and then Zechariah, according to Jesus, was murdered. Now, when he says between the temple and the altar, there was a practice where if you wanted mercy, you would run into the temple area and you would embrace the altar as a sign of show me mercy. And that would be a sign to the people, okay, We're going to show you mercy. You still have consequences for your actions, but we're going to show you mercy. Obviously, they did not show Zechariah mercy. They murdered him in the place where you're supposed to receive mercy. 
And a lot of theologians believe it's because when he was started preaching, hey, we got to get back to work rebuilding the temple and, and restoring our religion, everyone was like, yeah, okay, that's what we got to get back to. But once he started preaching, hey, there are all these other governments that are going to come in and they're going to overtake our nation. And we have to be okay with that because that's what God is going to cause. And it's going to be because of our sin that the people didn't want to hear that. And that's what led to them killing him. So, so here's the thing. A lot of the things that we're going to talk about are the same things that Zechariah talked about. We're going to talk about, you know, like, like we said, we're going to talk about the nations uh, that came in, the, the Greeks, the Romans. We're going to talk about the Antichrist. And, and uh, Mark and I were talking about in our podcast how there are so many people right now looking at what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, and they're equating that to end-time things incorrectly. And both of us have experienced when we've gone to say, hey, what you're saying is not quite correct because here's what the Bible says, then people have done the same thing. They got violent they got mad and they attack. Christian folks, I'm not talking about non-Christian folks, Christian folks, because you, you, you kind of say, hey, well, I, I understand that that's what you think, but can I show you what the word of God says and why that's not correct? Here's the, here's the correct thing that the word of God says when it comes to end time stuff. And even if you don't agree with me, that's okay. We could still go out for coffee, but they don't think that way. They think if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. I hate you, blah, and they attack. Kind of like what they did to Zechariah. And I bring all that up to say that, hey, as we continue talking about this, if you don't agree with me, that's okay. Just don't attack. Don't kill the pastor because you don't agree with the message. Can we say amen to that? Okay, I, I, I was going to be upset if no one said amen, because I'm like, wow. Okay, but good. So uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Zechariah chapter 10, right? And then Zechariah chapter 10. Uh, now, here's the thing. A lot of the language, if you've ever read through Zechariah, not easy to understand. It jumps from topic to topic. It seems kind of flowery. It seems to not make sense. But when you put it in perspective, it does. So in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, it says, ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field to everyone. And this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but it's God assuring the people of one, his ability to provide for them and of their prosperity. Here's the problem. God's idea of prosperity in the Bible is not the same as we have made it today. Because there's a whole movement called the prosperity movement, and, it, and it's based on God wants to make us rich. It's not God making people rich. It's God providing for people so that they're in a better position than when they started. For some people who have no food, that may mean just, I now have food. I'm not rich, but I'm not starving to death. You've literally prospered. That's the second time I said literally, too. She, yeah, they've literally prospered, right? But he goes on and he says this, because he contrasts his ability to provide with the false idols. He says, the idols speak deceit, in verse 2, Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. And we're going to come back and talk about that in more detail. But it's basically God saying, hey, these false idols and these people that lie, they're misleading the people. 
And verse 3 says, my anger burns against the shepherds, again, the false teachers and the liars, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the house of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. From Judah will come the cornerstone. If you have a Bible, underline that, the cornerstone. From him, because he says this cornerstone is now a him, the tent peg. From him, the battle bow. From him, every ruler. And this is, again, referring to the Messiah. This is referring to, we can look back at history and know this is talking about Jesus Christ. For a long time, they knew that the cornerstone would be someone, but they didn't know who. Now, stay in Zechariah. I'm going to jump through a whole bunch of scripture, right? So David, in around 1010 BC, somewhere around there, writes this in the Psalms. He says, I will give you thanks, speaking of God, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people ask, hey, how can the Old Testament people, like, how did, how did they get saved? Because Jesus hadn't come yet. He hadn't died and been born again. And what they did is what David did, just as we stand on this side of history, and we look back 2,000 years ago to what Jesus did on the cross, they looked forward... Granted, uh, David was looking like a thousand years forward. They look forward in time to what Jesus would do on the cross and put their faith in it, same way we look back and put our faith in it. And David said, hey, this, this cornerstone, whatever it is, it's become my salvation. Then you jump about 300 years forward, and Isaiah says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. He says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteous the plumb line. So now Isaiah says, hey, excuse me, that God says, I'm going to lay a stone in Zion in Jerusalem. It's a tested, a precious cornerstone, and it's going to be the foundation. And he says this, the one who relies on it will never be stricken, and, and justice and righteousness are going to be the measurements for the, the, the cornerstone, this cornerstone. But then he says this, and this is amazing. He says, this, because of this cornerstone, your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. So whoever this cornerstone is, because of this cornerstone and the foundation that he lays, death will no longer be an issue. And again, we stand on this side of history and we know because of what Jesus did on the cross that we now have an eternal destination because he's the only one who overcame death. Then you jump ahead some 700-ish years uh, and Paul writes this in the book of Ephesians. He says, he, meaning Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So then Paul comes along and he names Jesus as this cornerstone, and then Peter comes along just in case, because I've had people say, hey, perhaps you're taking these verses out of context. We don't know that Jesus is the cornerstone that David and that 
Isaiah were talking about, right? But then Peter comes along and he says, yeah, they were. Because Peter says, as you come to him, writing to Christians, the living stone rejected by humans, chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he says, for in Scripture it says, so he's equating what he just said to Scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And Peter is saying, yeah, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. He's the cornerstone of the Jewish religion. He is the cornerstone of which Zechariah, the prophet, was talking about. Now jump over to verse 9, and this is what it says in verse 9. And this is another prophecy that Zechariah says that we know is fulfilled. He said, God is saying through Zechariah, though I scatter them, the them being the people of Israel, among the peoples, yet in distant lands they will remember me. And this is when he's talking about when he scattered the nation of Israel, when the Romans came in and destroyed the entire nation. And they ceased to be a nation, and they were just scattered throughout the lands. They no longer had a nation. He said, they will remember me. They and their children will survive, and they will return. I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them from Gilead, or bring them to Gilead and Lebanon, and there will not be room enough for them. And Assyria is just modern-day northern Iraq and Turkey. And when he says there will not be room enough for them, He's referring to when they went back, and the people he's talking to would remember, because it was just a few years ago, when they were taken over by the Babylonians, they were brought into a different land. Seventy years later, as prophecy was fulfilled, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. But only, I think it was, 30 or 50,000, which is a lot to us, people went back. And then later, more people went back. But here, when they were dispersed, when the Romans came in and dispersed them, them, and they no longer existed as a nation, until 1940, either six, seven, or eight, I always forget which, millions of people came back. Instead of just a small group or population of people, millions of people came back, and then this prophecy uh, fulfilled in that they were restored as a nation. Now, I want to take a moment and go back to what we were talking about in the shepherds. So I'm going to put verse 3 up on the screen, and I'm going to put it up in the amplified version. Because what Zechariah communicates is, My anger is kindled against the shepherds, who were not true shepherds, and I will punish the goat leaders, for the Lord of hosts has visited his flock. What he says is uh, that he is going to punish, and his anger is against the false shepherds the people who are leading his people astray. And Jesus actually mentions or refers to this because he says there's going to come a point when I put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other, and the sheep I'm going to say, hey, come on into heaven, you've earned it. To the goats I'm going to say, I never knew you. And what God says is, hey, I'm going to punish the goat leaders, the people who are responsible for leading those goats away. Uh, And Matthew Uh, And we just read this. He put it again. Woe to you, the scribes and the Pharisees, the pretenders, the hypocrites, because they're leading the people away, right? They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. He says, you're shutting the kingdom of heaven in men's faces rather than being responsible for leading the people into the presence of God. 
right? So this is, this is important because he's saying, hey, my anger is kindled against the shepherds, the false shepherds, the false prophets, the false teachers. And I know you've been around a while. You've heard me talk about false teachers, false prophets. And, and, and some people might think I talk about it too much. I only talk about it when it comes up in scripture. And here's what I want you to understand. It comes up a lot. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, 25 of them warn about false teachers. So it must be pretty important to God if he tells the people in Zechariah's day, hey, I'm going to punish all the false teachers. And throughout the New Testament, we're warned about false teachers. Over 90% of the books of the New Testament warn about false teachers. So it must be pretty important to God that we not adhere to, and, and I think, let me see, 27, one of them is Philemon, and I always forget the other one. It might be Third John, are the only two books that don't talk about false teachers. Philemon, I know for sure, I cannot remember the other one. Forgive me, I'll look it up. Uh, but it's really important to God that we do not spend time as a congregation following false teachers, because it's going to lead you away from God. And this is why it's so important also to pray for pastors, right? Because our job as pastors is not to put ourselves on the pedestal and not to have you guys follow us. Our job is to get out of the way and point you to Jesus and what he did on the cross. There is not a single thing that I as a pastor or any other pastor can do to save you but we can point you to the one who can, who died for you, who loved you enough to shed his blood for you. And these, as a pastor, these are the verses that scare me because just like other pastors, yeah, I want people to, to, to listen, but I want to make sure that I'm focused on, I don't want you to listen to make me popular. I want you to listen so that you can like get pointed to Jesus. I don't want you to listen to hear what I have to say. I want you to listen so that you understand and know the word of God, right? But although, you know, we're pastors, so yeah, we have YouTube channels and we have TikTok channels and those are based on followers and it's very easy to slide from pointing people to God to like, hey, look at everyone looking at me because you have lots of followers, So that's why it's so important that we keep praying for pastors. So definitely pray for me, uh, pray for Pastor Mark, because I don't want to end up on the side as one of the goat leaders, one of the people who are leading people astray because I'm trying to get you guys to focus on, hey, look at me instead of, hey, look at Jesus, right? That's the important thing. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the great shepherd. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our savior, right? And if, if, if we as pastors are doing our job, we're not trying to build a congregation. We're not trying to build a denomination. We're just trying to point you to Jesus so that we can all be a part of his kingdom. Because just like Jesus said, he said, hey, If we are the people who are leading you away from God towards us or anyone else or away from his word, how can we escape the penalty suffered in hell? Now, I love me, always have, always will. I don't love me enough to put me in front of Jesus so that I end up in hell. So I'm I'm, I'm one of those people who like, yeah, 
I want people to listen to our messages. I want people to go to our websites, but not to see me, but so that they might experience Jesus. And I might know his love and his goodness and his grace. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and uh, I'm going to close with this verse because in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd risks his life and lays down his own life for the sheep. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we pray uh, not just for me, not just for Pastor Mark, uh, but we pray for every pastor in this nation and every other that we would use every resource that we have to point people to Jesus Christ. That with our words, that with our messages, that with the the entire Sunday celebrations that we craft, that every aspect of it would uh, just anoint and, and give glory and honor to Jesus. And as we talked about earlier, all the things that take place in this building, whether it be the Sunday celebration, whether it be a Bible study, whether it be a time of fellowship, we pray that it would all point people to Jesus and to the fact that he loved us enough to send his son to die upon a cross for us. Every single person that we know in our circles of influence would benefit from that kind of love. God, we pray that we stay true to your word, And again, that we don't focus on building a congregation or a denomination, but on doing your will, which is to share and show about the love of Christ and invite people to be a part of your kingdom. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen.